I should probably get a charger so I don't die on it. Don't go dying on me now. Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka the Raj Nation. I am the Idea Lemon co-founder and your show's co-host. I am joined as always by my co-founder and co-host, Martin McGovern, aka Marty McFly. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help us all better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we sit down with Sean Puri. Sean is the co-founder of Blab, an incredibly popular social live streaming video service that acquired millions of users over the last year, but Sean and his team made a decision to shut down the product recently when they decided it was not headed in the direction that they wanted. So, we asked the question, how do you stick to your guns? Before we get started, I want to send you a quick reminder and invitation to join our tribe while you will never miss an episode of this show. All you have to do is go to idealemon.com, enter your email address there, it's totally free, You'll get an email every Monday then when we release new episodes of this show. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Sean Puri. How do you stick to your guns? Let's listen in. For the last couple of years, I've been running something called Monkey Inferno. It's uh, probably the coolest place you've ever heard of uh, in terms of uh, a dream job. So essentially, I live in San Francisco and I get paid to dream up ideas for new apps, new websites and build them. And if we build them and something good happens, me and the rest of our team, we all own it, uh, you know, ourselves. So it's in, in many ways, it's a personal incubator. And this was made possible because um, my co-founder, his name is Michael Birch and his wife, Zochi Birch, they had previously founded a company, several companies, but the biggest one was called Bebo. And Bebo was a company that was, you know, at, at one time, uh, you know, in, this, in the States, maybe it was MySpace and Facebook. Uh, Bebo was sort of the third biggest social network in the world. And uh, Bebo sold to AOL for $850 million. And through that um, that payout, uh, Michael and Zochi decided to start their own incubator, their own idea lab, a place where they would hire up a small team and we would basically crank out ideas and experiments, try to find um, interesting projects that you know people would, would come to use and come to love. So the start of Blab was actually out of a out of a hackathon, we had hit a point with a previous product which had got to half a million users, but we knew it wasn't uh, sticky. This was like two or three months into the project. We knew right away like there was it was a novelty product that really wasn't going to um, go somewhere. And we had a hackathon where I kicked out half the team from the office, and I said um, this was mostly like our younger, kind of more creative developers, designers, and I said you guys are listening to me too much. I, I suspected that myself and our CTO who were you know, kind of like loudmouth, very opinionated types. I felt like we were killing all the good ideas. 
And I said, I want you guys to, to go out of the office and come back in three weeks. And the only rule is that you can't talk to us in between. So I don't care where you work. I don't care what you work on. You just got to come back in three weeks and demo something that you believe in. And you can't look to, to me or our CTO for approval. And uh, they said, okay, and game on. And so they built something in the three weeks and we built something in the three weeks. And they actually came back with what became Blab. So they became back with this cool little thing where you push a button and for those of you who don't know what Blab is, um, Blab was a way where you could just push a button and start a public conversation. So um, some people used it to host interviews like this uh, live with an audience. Some people used it to uh, just hang out, just shoot the shit with, uh, with, with other friends and people they met on Blab. Um, ESPN used it to do a weekly show about basketball and Product Hunt used it to do interviews with makers. And every group sort of found their own little use for what would you do if you could take what was previously a very private thing like FaceTiming or a Skype call and open it up and say, hey, we're having this conversation, but anyone can listen in. And you know, podcasts are kind of the same, but they're a recorded format of that. So we were live. We were um, a, a, something that could be recorded, but it could also be consumed live where you could interact with people in the audience while you're actually doing it. So that's what Blab was, and that's how it was born. Um, it started off you know, very, uh, very small, obviously, from zero, but within um, it lived for about a year. And within that year, we went from zero to 3.9 million users. Um, and the user is basically anyone who, who has you know, watched you know, more than a minute of Blab, essentially. That's me. And, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, so a lot of people came in because they saw you know, maybe a celebrity like a Tony Robbins or uh, the infamous Martin Shkreli or mm -hmm. you know, somebody doing a Blab. And they kind of stumbled into it and they were like, what the heck is going on here? Uh, and you could type a question and they would answer it right there on camera. Or you would click call in and all of a sudden you're on camera with that person um, taking up one of the – we had four seats available where you could be on video with each other. So that's how most people used it um, and it started growing and it started growing first amongst live streamers and then second amongst marketers and finally some bigger brands and celebrities and even you know a bunch of Fortune 500 companies like Adobe and SAP and Cisco were using it regularly. Um, and you know things were great, things were growing but we always had this funny thing where we were like it's really, really hard for, uh, to grow the viewers. So we had lots of people who liked to get up on stage and, and talk and lots of people who wanted to get the message out to an audience. But the other side of that, which was the audience part, uh, that was really tough. So even if, even if your favorite podcaster or your favorite celebrity or an athlete, you know, we had, you know, the, 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 um, the UFC heavyweight champion was on. Um, and even during that time, they would only pull a few hundred people because uh, a, not that many people knew about us, but B, and more importantly, not everybody would just stop their day and say, oh, there's a live stream going on? Okay, I guess I can watch that, right? They were busy at school, they were busy at work, they were busy at home. Um, in an on-demand world, live was just very tough, even if it was the right content. Uh, and most of the time, it wasn't the right content. So most of the time, it wasn't the UFC heavyweight champion. It was just, uh, you know, the average person wanting to talk about books or about wanting to talk about um, about you know their day or whatever was going on, and it just wasn't compelling enough for the average viewer to come in, essentially flip the TV on, flip Blab on, and find something that they would love. So we kind of had, had this problem where live streams, you know, because they're not edited, because they're not produced, the quality was varying across the board from really bad to really great, but it was very hard to match the right content 
for the user when they would join. So we had a lot of people who would watch one blab and never come back, uh, who would watch a piece of a blab and then be like, okay, I got, I got to go on with my day, and they would never come back. Um, and even if we tried to draw them back, the reality was that the product was whatever was on at the moment, whoever was streaming at the moment, and uh, that was more, it was hit or miss, but it was more miss than hit. So of the 3.9 million users, we saw that a fraction of that, less than 10%, were coming back on a regular basis. And that's when we knew, hey, you know, we could kill ourselves, keep refining the product and keep uh, trying to grow it. But if it's not sticky, ultimately, um, it's not going to work. And so we assessed our options. We had many options on the table. We could, um, you know, as any business owner would, you could say, okay, maybe it's not a free product. Maybe I should be charging a handful of people who really care about this. And it's a, it's a tool for them to use and they'll pay for a pro tool. Or maybe we shift it to do something else. Or maybe we um, try to piggyback on another platform. Or maybe we just sell the company. And in the end, we decided that the right move for us as a team was actually to do kind of the counterintuitive thing. We, we just shut it down. We completely shut it down, that product, and immediately threw ourselves, our team, um, into first a period of reflection where we try to figure out what worked and what didn't. What did we learn in that last year? And then second, what are we going to do next? Uh, because my team is, is a very strong team, and we just felt like uh, we have the potential to build something really great. And if this wasn't it, that's okay. We'll move on to the next one. That, wow. Like it's, <laughs> it, having been someone who's on the other side, it's just so cool to hear that that story. And, you know, I mean, we read through your Medium article and everything, and it's just – I. I it's so interesting because a lot of those pieces resonated with me. Like the first blab I did, I joined at like I think eleven forty-five at night because uh, my right. friend my friend was like super excited and we were Snapchatting and then she's like, "Oh, you got to see this new thing!" And then all of a sudden it's like four in the morning and I'm like, "I got <laughs> I got to like take a bathroom break or something here." Like, right. <laughs> and so yeah, it's so cool and um, it's also interesting to hear uh, sort of the genesis of it from this multi. Uh, from the from your team and, and how it's just like it is a, it's just execute and move on and execute and iterate and move on and and that mindset I think is really fascinating in this world of you know when we kind of talk to people about projects a lot uh, a lot of folks get really really married to their solution um, before they even truly identify the problem and then they can't let go of that solution uh, when they realize that the problem that they're solving has changed. So I think that's really fascinating from the sticking to your guns perspective. I mean, that, that's that's totally true. I, I can kind of explain the like how that like why our mentality is the way it is. Um, and so for people who just most people just discovered us through Blab. It was the biggest the biggest project that that we had made out of our incubator. Um, but what they didn't know is that we had incubated eight projects before that. You know, just in, you know some we kill in a day, in a week, in a month, and some in six months. But we had tried many different concepts before that. And when you're in an idea lab where we're self-funded idea lab, okay, cool. So, and you can think of any idea you want. You kind of have to put constraints on it to be able to make anything happen, right? So we had a few rules. One was everything we do is consumer-facing. We don't make, we don't do B2B businesses. Um, the other thing was we do everything that's like software and internet. We're not trying to, you know, as great as a, a business as maybe Teespring is selling you T-shirts or Uber is and getting you a car. We don't do anything with that like real-world physical object. Um, related to it. But the third constraint that we had wasn't about like the type of idea. It was basically about how are we going to judge how much, like how long to persevere or when to pivot. And I think that's the hardest question for any, any founder or any entrepreneur 
um, or really even other parts of your life, whether you're dating someone and you want to decide, should I keep going or, or do I break up and, and, and see what else is out there? Um, and it's very hard because in one, in one case, you know what you have um, and you don't know what's on the other side if you, if you let this go. But at the same time, you know this is not quite right. And so what we decided as a team early on with the Incubator was we set out a really specific thing. Why are we here? Why did you choose to work here and not at Google or anywhere else? Because the people we have could be working anywhere right now. They're supremely talented. And what we agreed on was we're here to build something special. We, we have a word for it. It's called a generational company. It's, uh, it's not necessarily the company that makes the most money. It's a company that builds a product that everybody kind of knows it gets into mainstream so mm-hmm. like for us growing up you know i'm 28 uh, growing up this was like i remember when napster came out and that was just like blew my mind yeah. and then aim is where i lived every day and to most people they view napster and aim as failures right they're not around anymore they didn't end up making billions of dollars but to me that's not a failure those were like generational products that i that that changed the way we we worked and like it got into mainstream culture it impacted a whole generation of people. And there are many companies that are like that that actually totally succeeded. And Facebook was one of those as well for my generation. So that's what we wanted to do. And so when we and we said, okay, well, what's the biggest risk? And we said, well, the biggest risk for us is not that we don't have the team or the resources or the time. You know, we have all those things. We're blessed to have those things. The biggest risk in our case is mediocrity. Meaning if we get a project that's like not obviously bad enough to just stop doing but not grave enough where it's obvious we just need to double down and keep doing this. If there's something in between, which is where most products fall, it's not, not a clear answer. And we, we recognized early on that mediocrity is the biggest risk of all because you're most likely to waste your most precious asset, time, continuing to work on something that's kind of in that gray area, kind of in the middle. And we said we got to be really ruthless about it. we got to be impatient and try to get things to get out of the zone of mediocrity and sometimes we're going to have to be ruthless and we're going to have to stop doing a project that, you know, had some momentum but not as much as we want. And we had to agree that, you know what, we will never know what would have happened if we continued. Um, and we just have to live with that. That's sort of the choice we made. So for us, that was an agreement we had two years ago. And so we, when we built Blab and we got to that point where it's time to make a decision for Blab, it wasn't as hard as you would expect when you've poured everything every night, every weekend into building this thing for a year straight and to pull the plug because we knew what our values were. So decisions become really easy when you know what your values are. So that's kind of, you know, for better or for worse, that's the way we think. So this is this idea, the mediocrity thing I really like, and I want to kind of unpack further. And and I don't know if you recall, but when I first uh, shot you an email, um, what I had written in there was like the reason why your medium article resonated so much with me was because on a, on a much, much smaller scale, uh, Martin and I you know, kind of endured something similar recently where we were selling this online course, but then we made a decision to, like an active decision to no longer sell it um, because what we were battling was more or less the fight of mediocrity in the sense that um, either we were going to put all our effort in trying to sell it, and we did for several months this year to make a handful of sales, or scale back, and for a couple of months, it was like, all right, let's just sell this on the side. But you can't really do that. Uh, and then to be able to even to, to try and do that, which we did, it's like you're putting in, you know, the effort to even sell it on the side is more than the money you'd make back on a single. Yeah, and it pulls sale. resources away from the things that will eventually become the thing. Yeah, and and what's and then you know then recently over the last couple of months, what we've come to is 
all right, let's just put a halt on selling it entirely and focus our efforts elsewhere. And just hearing you talk, what I think, I mean, I, probably more so for me than you, Martin, because you're a little bit more ruthless. Well, <laughs> you are ruthless, whereas I'm not. <laughs> uh, emotional attachment. Yeah, I have the emotional <laughs> attachment to things. And uh, hearing you talk, Sean, what I think I was fighting against, and I didn't realize it, is that idea of fighting against mediocrity. Because it's like, wait, but it can still work, kind of ends up being the prevailing uh, mindset as opposed to like working kind of is not working. Well, and I'm curious because both of you, like in in both situations, like there's users that love it. And, and so you've got to not only pull the plug and detach yourself from it, but you've also got to deal with the, you know, the, the ripple effect through the community. I know Sean, you've been, you've really sort of seen the, that as well, especially with like the medium article, right? Yeah, you know, it's sort of a, (laughs) it's a funny situation, right? There's the people that, that loved it and you feel terrible for disappointing them and taking something away from them that they enjoyed and they believed in and they, they invested time and energy into. And that's a terrible thing. That's a terrible feeling. And on the other side, you have all these people who were haters and non-believers to begin with. And they said, oh, it's all hype when it was growing. And they were like, no, 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 it's all hype. Um, and, and now they're, they're coming out with a, you know, I told you so you're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And so you lose on both fronts, the people who loved it and the people who hated it. They both, (laughs) they're both upset. (laughs) You know, they both cause you to feel upset, uh, when it, when it ends. But you know what? Like, um, I wouldn't have gone into this to, to sort of like let anyone else's opinion, um, affect me. I think there's, that's a, a trait of many entrepreneurs is you're sort of too stubborn for your own good. Um, and in this case, it's like you're, you're, I'm almost too oblivious for my own good. I, I per- personally focus on um, the learnings. You know, one of my favorite athletes is a guy named Conor McGregor, and he, him and his coach and his his whole camp, they have a philosophy that I subscribe to, which is you either win or you learn. And you know, in in any defeat, um, you didn't lose. You either win or you learn. So in any defeat, you have to decide: is this going to eat you up, or are you going to eat it up? Are you going to eat up all the different learnings, the different pieces that came out of this? the relationships, the the good memories, the learnings, whatever it may be. And so that makes it a lot easier because I think I think where people struggle is, you, like I said, you don't know what's on the other side and there's all these other voices in your head that gets you to kind of do things that, that logic would tell you you should stop. Like you said, like you'll keep working on something on the side or, or keep working on it even when you, you know it's not worth your time and energy anymore. Um, but we do that because we have these like biases, right? We have this like sunk cost feeling where we mm-hmm. put so much in and that biases us. Yeah. We have this feeling of like the familiarity, you know, we'd rather take the pain we know than the pain we don't. So one thing we like our team, we have a, we have a habit of asking this question, which is like, how can we fight off our own bias? Like what's human tendency? Okay. If human tendency is to do these things, then we need to set up like in our process, little triggers that will get us to fight off those tendencies because otherwise we we're no we're not special like those those same human biases will, will affect us too and so we knew that some of those are like thinking about your sunk costs or worried about what other people will say or you know the perception of, of of looking like a failure so we kind of put those all on the table and we say okay we know those are there that shouldn't influence our thinking what what should influence our thinking and then you list those things out and so that made it a lot easier for us personally to not only make the decision but handle the consequences after it. Yeah, and I and I love the idea that 
you know, even just like hearing the the folks that I know who are part of the community talk about it, like the every time that there's a change, everyone will, you know, have that initial like Oh no, it's change. Like people just hate change, right? But right. the great every thing is Facebook that update every ever. Facebook update ever <laughs> and, you know, everything. So like, but the great thing about it is that we live in a world where everyone's trying to create stuff and everyone's trying to move forward and everyone's trying to take old ideas and reinvent them. And so there's always going to be new things for people to jump to, and it kind of helps when you sort of take a macro view of things to be like, I'm not the only person in the world trying to solve these problems. I'm just trying to solve it my way. And the folks who maybe, you know, they use my product, but now they have to go find something else, they will find something eventually. And I think that that's kind of a, a nice thing in the back of your head where it's just like, um, sometimes we get too attached with like, no, I have to be the one, right? But right. but there are other problems to solve and there are other big things and there are new people who need help and there's always something new to do. Yeah, I mean, the way the way I measure myself and it sounds like you guys do too is like, um, you know, you, we have a fixed amount of time, you know, to be doing this. And so we want to make the maximum impact we can blab affected some people and maybe some, some would say a lot of people, but products and software these days can affect the whole world. And that's what we're trying to do. So like, we know we have to start very small, but ultimately that's the goal. So if this, if this wasn't doing that, then you know what, like, let's take another crack at it. And we're fortunate to be able to do so. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Instant Messenger uh, defined my early relationships, so. <laughs> yeah, I had my first girlfriend was, you know, someone I started chatting with on MSN. She went to my school, but I was too shy to talk to her in school, but I was, I, I could talk to her on MSN. It felt normal. Go Messenger apps for the introverts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, Raj, the extrovert, is just shaking his head. No, dude, I, dude, I, was, all, like, I was all over him growing up. And it was it's fascinating like, what are you nerds talking about? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm younger than you are. No, nerds. Oh, nerds. These are parents. <laughs> um, uh, no, I remember, though, like, in, and I don't know how, like, and to talk about, like, a generational product like AIM, like, I remember every day in sixth grade coming home from school and just like the first thing you log on to instant, like you grab like a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch and you <laughs> log on to aim and you're and just your like, parents on had locked the, the door from to the computer room and you're like, no, <laughs> no, you just like, you're on it for the next like three to four hours of your night. Like you start doing homework while on aim and I'm thinking back, I'm like half the time it wasn't even like having conversations. It was just the fact that I was on it and, and like the ability for someone to message me was there. Yes. I mean, it was, it, it, I mean, AIM was the crack of our like middle school, high school, you know what I mean? Like you couldn't go home and avoid it because you were missing out on everything. It was social suicide if it you weren't there to be talked to, you know? And then it was uh, like the, cause like in middle school, like relationships start and end in a day. It was like, you didn't know who was still dating who unless you were keeping up on AIM. Yeah. It was <laughs> the beginning of FOMO. So as you've been building this product, you've been doing these things. What have you learned about sort of human communication and, and the way things are going? Oh man, there's there's a lot there, right? Like that, that's the sort of the, the thing that swirls around in my mind all day. But you know, some of the interesting things that that popped out to me were that um, you have like every communication tool has its place. Like I will call someone when I need an urgent answer, and I'll text someone when like I want to be multitasking, right? I want to be multitasking, and I want them to be able to multitask and get back to me whenever they can. And then I'll FaceTime when I really want to see them. And there's no like. You know, there's no like one answer and there's no and, and now with so many messaging apps, there's no one place where I talk to people. I talk to my coworkers in Slack and my 
my, my, my close friends on iMessage and my kind of friends on Facebook Messenger. And that's become the way of the world today. But that's always changing. And, you know, like before, you know, when it was just Facebook, I would have never thought we need another photo sharing thing. And then Instagram comes and I'm like, oh, of course, this is obvious. <laughs> and then when, and then, then I thought we were done again. And then Snapchat comes out and you're like, oh, of course, right? There's like <laughs> for every one photo I'm willing to put on Instagram, I'll send 20 goofy ones privately, right? So I think that there's the biggest learning for me is that there's always room for more because humans are such social creatures that we crave communication. And if anyone can come up with a new medium or a new privacy policy around, around sharing, then people will flock to it. If you can really come up with something that's novel there. Um, that's, I think the, that's the thing that I think most people feel like, oh, isn't there enough? Aren't we done? And I fundamentally don't believe we're ever done. There, it, it'll ever be enough. I love that because one of the jokes that was kind of going around uh, a while back was like, if you want to ghost someone now, you really have to ghost them. You have to ignore their emails, their texts, their Snapchats, their Twitters, their, their, Facebook, their messenger, Facebook messages, like, their normal Facebook. Like, you can't just block their phone number. <laughs> Disappearing has become tough. Uh, I want to go back to the concept of the um, what what Martin kind of brought in was with the just like the outrage fans had uh, to blab shutting down the product as it as it existed. I'll be honest, like I read your medium post and I was like, wow, this makes total sense. How could like and I, and I was like, everyone's got to like really be in his corner for this. And then, like I scroll a little bit further down the page. And they're <laughs> like, you fucking asshole. You're, you're greedy as hell. Uh, and I think one of the things that really does influence decision making is what are other people going to say, you know, for better or worse, probably more for worse than for better. And what I think is important to note in those instances is everyone is coming to the table only having their own mindset and their own perspective on the world and the way things should work. And that's something like, I think we've kind of, Martin, we've kind of figured out over the last year and understanding that has like, for me, it's changed a lot because whatever someone tells me, whether it's good or bad, I'm like, Okay, they're giving me their their framework of how the world works in their mind. It's not how the world works in my mind, and it's not how the world works in the person next to me's mind. But that like that helps with you know getting comments that are negative, even being able to take the positives with a grain of salt, and um, really just kind of bring it back to the communication too. Understanding like this is how we're communicating. We're all communicating from the way in which we understand things to operate. So you like, you know, the, the blab user who is obsessed with blab and use it every day, there's a good chance they didn't for one second think about the business implications of it. And that you're trying to run a business that you want to run at the end of the day, even if they love the product. Um, just from what I just said there, uh, do you agree, disagree, uh, have a totally different perspective? You know, I, I totally agree with, when somebody says something, it's not that they're wrong, that's their truth, right? That's what they believe, that's what they perceive, and you just have to take it as that. So on one side, there's like a, it is interesting if you step back and you say, okay, this person said this, they feel this way, what would make them feel that way? And it's an opportunity to like learn something, right? I think for some people, uh, they're like, wow, you know, was that hard to deal with? You know, there was an outpour of love, there was also an outpour of like despair when we went away or people, you know, uh, who were upset. For me, I was happy. I was like, "This is the you know first product we've made that people really cared about." You know, we've you know much worse has been other products where we pull the plug and nobody notices, nobody says anything. So, <laughs> you know, th those were the real disappointments uh, in my mind. So this was different, and and I would like I treat 
business, I treat startups like a martial art. I'm going to be doing this for my whole life. There is no like, even I get to a black belt, there's an infinite amount to learn. And today I'm just a green belt. And so I anticipate myself doing this forever. So I view these all kind of in a, a, a very zoomed out perspective. Um, and until we hit, you know, a bigger success, everybody, you know, we'll look like idiots until we look like geniuses. That's the reality for any startup founder. And you just have to accept that going in. Am I willing to look like an idiot until I look like a genius? And it happens every step of the way. Like, oh my God, you turn down that job offer to sit in your bedroom and make this like new product that no one's using. And it will always look like that until they start writing, you know, the, the ink articles and the Forbes articles about you, about how, of course he persevered when it, you know, it, you know, it was obvious that humans would have this, this need for this product and whatnot. Um, so I agree with you in, in the, in the big sense that, you know, what people say is just their perception. I, I have two kind of other layers of, of that, that help me deal with everything. One is whose opinion should I really care about? And there's a couple that come to mind. One is like, uh, my team. So is my, does my, how does my team feel about this decision that includes our investors, that includes my, like the, the team that built the product and re, you know, poured their heart and soul into it. And then the second is, uh, you know, my future self. So like, I like to imagine, okay, let's say in the next 10 years, I think there's like a hundred percent chance that I will get everything I want. Uh, you know, I will eventually figure out how to, how to crack this puzzle. I will get where I want to go. I'll have the, the money, the fame, the whatever else I want. Right. So let's take that off the table for a second. Let's say I'm already there. If I'm there in 10 years and I look back at this experience, would I be proud of the way I handled it? Would I be proud of what I did? And if that answer is yes, then I feel good. Uh, because even in this moment, if this is like a temporary pain, um, if I can kind of look my future self in the eye and say, yeah, here's what I did for this reason. Um, and I don't feel any loss of respect. I feel like I gained respect in that case, then I'm happy with it. And so for every... Uh, you know, one comment that that sucks and it hurts. There's 10 others that are, you know, totally positive and people reaching out and DMing me and, you know, by peers and investors and everybody else who, who's, you know, said, you know, first, thanks for being honest in your post. Second, you know, I respect what you guys built. It was a very cool product. Even if it didn't, didn't work out, I'm sure you guys are you know, going to figure it out um, in, in, your, in your next one or the next one after that. You know, it's just a matter of time. And so the problem is the negative things stand out. They, they, they linger in your memory a little bit more. But you kind of have to wash that away. So I try to to bulletproof my mind so that you know any thought that's not empowering, any thought that's not helping me is hurting me. So I just kind of wash those away. You know, what's interesting is you, you mentioned the future self thing. I actually do the reverse of that, where I look at like oftentimes I'll say, "Hey, would 16 year old me look at me right now and be like, dude, you're you you like you didn't like." cave in or give up or right. like do something that just like, you know, cause you're very idealistic when you're 15, 16 years old and you're like, this is how life could play out. So oftentimes like I do, like I do the reverse and I'll go back to that 15, 16 year old self and be like, is 16 year old me proud of what is being put forth today and what I'm, you know, the way I'm thinking and the things that I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly believe that like, you know, if, if anyone's listening to this, they, they don't care about blab. That's fine. But I'm hoping that they pull something out of this that helps them with whatever they're, whatever they're up to, whatever your hustle is. Um, one of the things that, that I've noticed is like the biggest determinant of success or failure is what questions do you habitually ask yourself? Uh, and if you ask a better question, you'll get a better answer. And so like some of these questions are so critical to just keep asking. One of them is this, you know, for you, it's, you know, what would my 15 year old self say about, well, you know, what I'm doing right now? Like, would they be proud or would they be, think I'm lame? 
Um, you know, those types of questions, if you can come up with a handful of questions that you just habitually ask, uh, that's one of the most powerful tools you can have. Uh, we have one internally, just to share another one. We have one internally that's, um, that's, that's more for productivity. So anytime someone has an idea and they're all excited about it, um, everybody else on the team is kind of the, the editor. They're the one who says, okay, slow down. You're excited about that. But the question we ask before we do anything is, Hey, what could you do in a, like, say that's a good idea. What could you do in an hour? What could you do in a day? And what could you do in a week towards that idea? Because we immediately all jump to the big solution, the, the final solution, the perfect solution, the one month solution. And if you just said, okay, what can I do in an hour to get me, you know, on my way? It's such a force, it's such a good forcing question. And because it's become like institutionalized in our company and our process, we, st we work way faster because we ask those questions and we come up with something we could do in an hour, something we could do in a day, et cetera. And, uh, and so, you know, ask better question, get a better answer. That's kind of a pro tip. Yeah. And I, I love the immediacy of that because, um, well, so over the weekend I, I didn't, I take improv classes at IO at, in, in Chicago. And one of the things that happens all the time is people get on stage and they start talking about what those characters want to do in the future. So it's like, oh, hey mom, let's go to a carnival next week. And then you're talking about the carnival that you're not at. And the teacher yelled huh. at the entire crew and was like, if you have that gut impulse to say carnival, be at the carnival right now because I'm never going to get to see that future scene. If you right. tell me something that's going to happen in the future, I'm never going to get to see it. And I don't even know if you're on a train, if you're in a house, if you're in a car, where are you right now? And so I think a lot of us live in the, oh, man, I really want that thing in the future. And then uh, forget that. Well, you could have something in an hour, in a week, in a day, you know, like those questions that you just asked. Because if you just take all those ideas and say, well, why am I procrastinating this? And should I just do it immediately? It really cuts out a lot of the speculation. Wait, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a radical change in thinking. Because that is the default. It's like, hey, let's go to the store is like how you think of, you know, I've never done improv, but like that's how you'd think it would, it would unfold as, as opposed to I'm cooking eggs right now. Yeah. It's like, or would you like some eggs? Like, yeah, just it's already an existing thing. Yeah. Right. Just assume it. That's fantastic. Um, the productivity. And then, then I guess further to your point, Sean, um, this is something that I actually think, Martin, I think we're really good at this is the how do we just get the lowest possible version of this thing out and in front of people like today or tomorrow um, that I know. And we've talked to a lot of people who get caught in that. Well, I don't have X, therefore I can't do any version of this. Um, but the reality is, is it's like, you know, it's so easy to just do something like you said, like the one hour or the one week towards your towards the goal. Like I, uh, I'm also, I mean, I'm a yoga instructor and I have this idea perhaps in the future to do branded apparel and sell that. But like my first step towards that was just, let me just create a Facebook group of people who want to get better at yoga and just like help people get better at yoga through videos in a, in a private Facebook group. And what am I doing with that? It's like, okay, well I get to be able to work on my ability as a teacher, even when I'm not in front of a room and then build up my own brand for people who may never have taken a class with me before and work towards that potentially at some point saying, hey, I've got something here that uh, enables me to be able to sell apparel to these people now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> in the world of workout, you know, there's, there's 
working out is like the ultimate procrastination thing, right? Like I'll start on Monday, you know, I'll start, I'll start at the new year. And, uh, and you know, in that case, you just want to ask the one minute question, like do do a push up. Okay. <laughs> now you've started, right? Like that's the first step towards getting the abs you want is like do something in the next minute or I don't believe you. <laughs> and then, okay, I did that in the next minute. What can I do in the next hour? What can I do in the next day? What can I do in a week? Um, it's just a very powerful way of thinking. Yeah. You know, another thing too with you, how you mentioned like having that small set of questions you're asking yourself habitually and, and I love that concept and I mean, I guess quite honestly, like our podcast is a series of potential habitual questions a person could ask themselves. Right. Um, but I think what really helps with that is do you have people around you who are asking the right questions too? And like Martin and I over the years, we've just been like, Ruth, that's where I have been ruthless yeah. is like we're ruthless with each other on not just business stuff, but personal things. I'd going like to on. do comedy. Get up on stage and do comedy. Yeah, Shit, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, or you know, like having that like mastermind group, whatever it might be. But making sure that the people around you are not blowing smoke up your ass, but on the other side, not just shooting down everything that you say. But it's like, like you said, if you say, "Hey, I want to get involved in comedy," the answer is for me isn't that's cool or that's stupid or it's not even like. Why don't you look into doing shows sometime? It's, hey, when we get back back to, back to Chicago, you better be signing up for a show. It's do it or stop talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good motto right there. Um, so, so where are you guys based right now? We're in Chicago. Okay, so you're in Chicago. And I can tell that uh, you guys you know, found each other and clicked because you're like, hey, wait, you're – you're weird like me, <laughs> and that that kind of worked. Yeah. You know, before before I I did this, I wasn't living in San Francisco. I wasn't living in Silicon Valley. I was living in Australia, and uh, I had a sweet gig in Australia. I had, I had a great job. Like it was a startup that I was getting paid great for and whatnot. And when I left, I left to come to Silicon Valley because I wanted to know, like, is there any difference, right? Like, can I just be doing the startup thing from anywhere in the world? Can I just be doing it from the beach here in Australia, or is there actually a core advantage of being here in Silicon Valley? And uh, people will give you all their opinions, and I'll, I'll give you mine. The biggest difference to me was when you get here, um, you'll find people who are just as delusional as you, who don't look at you crazy when you say something crazy. And that's just a very powerful thing. So it starts at the very basics, right? You go to a coffee shop here, and somebody's going to be pitching their startup idea. Or you know, you meet, you know, you're, you're sharing an Uber with somebody, and, and the guy is talking about how he just raised ten million dollars at a fifty million dollar valuation, and you're like, "What are you talking about? You're just you just graduated from college. Like, do you even know what that number is? Like, not, none of us know what those numbers even mean. But you hear it enough, and it, it just surrounds you with people who are thinking about crazy things. They think it's plausible that they can do it. They all run their companies in weird ways, and so their weird matches your weird. And that's what Silicon Valley does really, really well. It's like your crazy matches my crazy. And in other parts of the country, if you're in LA, maybe it's like your your talent matches my talent. Mm -hmm. Or you know, your greed matches my greed or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. If every different city that's like a, a hub for either finance or academia or technology or whatever, you'll just notice that you're constantly surrounded with people who are like that. So your concept of what's normal just fades away. And you guys in Chicago, I like that you guys have each other and maybe you have a mastermind group of a few people who think that way. But I encourage you to someday dip your dip your toes here where you, everybody is like that. And it just takes you to a new level. And for, for your listeners, whatever they do, you got to really ask yourself, are you surrounded by people where, you know, if you took an idea that we talked about in this podcast and you wanted to bounce it off someone, do you immediately think of three people who you would want to tell us about? Or if you told it to them, would they like get excited about it and start riffing off of it and like take it to the next level? 
Or would they be like, yeah, cool, like, cool idea, and I'll get a weirdo. Shut um, up and like, put this glass of wine in front of your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, what, what are you talking about, dude? Like, I work in insurance. I don't know what, I don't know what you're saying. Um, right. And so that's a really, like, important piece of it is are you surrounded by people who think the way you think? Um, and, 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 like, at the base level, at, like, a really fundamental level. Do they get excited about the things you get excited about? Do you feel comfortable saying something weird or, or that might sound stupid around them? The uh, so the geography thing is really interesting, and we may have discussed this like a year ago. Yeah, we went on the road trip and we Uh, looked at the entrepreneurship in every city. So, like, particularly LA, I find fascinating because you know, like, every every waiter and waitress is also an actor, right? Yes, um, and they will like chase that dream, you know, into their 70s, into their 80s, like waiting for their big break, and they will, you know, they'll hustle however much they need to to to, and go to those auditions and everything. And what we had kind of and it's, it's, it's all just like postulation. I don't know if it. Do, do, do you know what the new one is? Right, it's not. It's not waiters anymore. It's Uber and Lyft drivers. Ah, like, okay. No, that's it's, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're driving this to fund what dream? Yeah. Like yeah. here, they're they're driving to fund their their startup idea. They're 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 whatever. And if you go to L.A., it's like, oh, I'm a casting director. I'm trying to make it yeah. this. And it's like it's all trying to fund their side hustle. So with that, you know, one of the things we had observed, and we again we just like hypothesized about was. What you'll see in LA is like the like again they will grind for life waiting for their big break. Um, some people maybe they shouldn't, but most people like they're chasing a dream and they're doing whatever they need to do to chase that dream. And what we've noticed in Chicago is there are more people who I'd say give up for the wrong reason. There, there's giving up for the right reasons, or there's stopping for the right reasons. <laughs> like I'm not talented. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, there's more of like a you know, I tried it out for a little bit and a little bit meeting me like six months. Uh, One class. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, that's it. And what, what we were kind of like studying on or just thinking about was, does it have to do like with the geography in, in the weather itself? Because in L.A., it's always nice weather year round. So like the idea that like the like it's never going to end more like, quote unquote, is is like embedded into people's minds. In Chicago, we have five months of we have three months of summer, two months of fall, and then it's like winter and shit spring. Yeah, if you don't get it done by winter. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like like May to May through September are a good months of weather. So it's uh, and that's what we were wondering, like because like the weather, we know like the good times are going to end. Do do people in Chicago take that same like approach to the things that they're working on, the dreams they're t- chasing? Like I only can do it for you know X number of months or years, and and that's all I can give myself because the weather. And I don't mean like consciously, but maybe subconsciously, when we see the seasons change twice a well, year. The joke is that everyone hibernates in the winter, and so if you don't get your project done by you know, if it doesn't get off the ground in the three months that it's nice out and you're out networking and chatting with people. Which I would argue the opposite. During winter, it's like you hold yourself up and, you should and work out everything. But uh, I don't know. Have you ever, like, heard of that concept before of, like, of just, like, what I said there with the weather kind of dictating the mindset? And what's your thought on that? I, I think weather is a big factor. I think about it differently than you, though. You, you, your take was kind of like the world is good. It's sunny outside. Nothing needs to change <laughs> like, <Yeah>. in a way. <laughs> um, whereas what, what I was thinking was, was just like a little bit more practical, which is um, 
look, when it's cold, you spend a lot of time inside, right? If you're next to the beach, you're going to like grow up spending a lot of time by the beach. You're not going to grow up like tinkering on your computer in your room. And, uh, and like the number of amazing like Nordic programmers in, in Eastern Europe is like a, a testament to, <laughs> I think the, like, like it's probably correlated to the fact that there is, uh, it's freezing outside and there's very little like, uh, daylight hours for like whole seasons. And, uh, so you, you know, you, you make the best of it. Right. And so I think it is a factor in terms of how much time you spend inside working, um, and, and specifically maybe learning how to build stuff. The second thing is a little bit more like evolutionary, which is the survival of the fittest. Like you would only like, uh, Paul Graham has a great essay about this called cities. I encourage you to check it out. But Paul Graham's essay, he basically says like uh, Boston, which is kind of like a mecca for academia. You've got Harvard, you've got MIT, you've got a bunch of colleges in a very small area. And Boston's like kind of miserable in terms of like the the weather. Um, <laughs> and it's very cold there. But like the people who are all about that life, they're going to live there through that weather. And the people who are not, as soon as they get an opportunity, they're going to go for sunnier pastures. And the people who, you know, they, they you know, who, who stay, it's because this really matters to them. So you just get this filter of a bunch of people who this really, really matters to. And uh, so that can happen in a city uh, based on the weather as well. So I don't discount it. You know, I remember when I was going to college and I remember thinking how stupid it was that weather was like one of the four factors they like ask you about when they're trying to like, you're taking those like quizzes to see where yeah. you should go to college. <laughs> but hey, it and does. It, it, it matters. So, of course, right? It, it affects everybody every single day. Um, now, it shouldn't be the factor, of right. course, but it, I can see now why it is a factor and you're not just choosing from like a list of top ranked schools. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think, I think whether maybe we haven't given it its fair due. Well, and, and, and if I can just put it out there, the factor in picking a college is what one of my friends in college, the reason why he decided to go to that school was because a hot girl who was a year older than him in high school decided to go to that school as well. So he's like, oh, I should apply there and go there. It's the instant messenger approach. <laughs> no, but it wasn't even like he was pursuing her. No, he's just like, oh, hot girls go there. Oh. I should go there. That's the Arizona State model. Yeah. <laughs> You're, oh, man. Anyway, um, Martin, real quick, I want to get your perspective on like your word of the year is conviction. And our topic today is sticking to your guns. Um, obviously, they're very closely correlated. And like, how how do you feel you've been fulfilling that to this point in the year, nine months in? Yeah, so I think um, when it comes to that word, I chose it because uh, having been a yes man in the past, uh, you know, you'll say yes to lots of opportunities, which is good. To an extent and then becomes very bad after a while um but there's it kind of was born out of this impatience uh with some of the goals that were being set and kind of what what that the improv teacher said about like stop saying you're going to do things and start doing it so um there's i think a lot of just idea i have lots of ideas every day i have new ideas right and I need to start being decisive about which ones actually will and will not come to fruition because as we've been saying throughout this entire podcast, our you know scarcest resource is time. And if I try to do it all, none of it will be good. It will be that mediocrity that we keep talking about. And so I think the biggest thing that I needed to do as we were going into this year and we were really trying to get that product off the ground and everything was, um, was put deadlines to my ideas and say – you're going to get started. You're going to try your best. You're going to get to a certain point. And if you don't accomplish what you set out to accomplish, you need to move on. And so 
I think we've been doing that quite a bit. And I've seen that in relationships. I've seen that with friendships. I've seen that with... Um, if I don't if I don't love her X amount by, <laughs> by May, by May 23rd, um, I'm out. <laughs> and, and I think like, but it also goes the opposite direction. Like, I don't really work out. And I could wake up every day and beat myself up about that and worry about it and keep saying I'm going to do it. And like, like we said earlier, it's like, if you say you're going to work out, go do a push-up right now. Well, I don't say I'm going to work out. <laughs> so like, it's having conviction on both sides. Like, don't don't keep everything open as a possibility and also choose the pieces that you're really going to focus on. So, um, you know, with each new idea I have, I say, like, is this something that I actually have conviction in or is this just a fleeting idea? And if it's just fleeting, I, I kill it. Mm-hmm. Sean, in your so in your life, I'm curious to know the way in which you approached uh, shutting down the Blab product. Have you approached just things in your personal life similarly, like with that same decision-making before? Totally. Um, Other, you know, from relationships, uh, that's, that's been that way. (laughs) You know, once, once, you know, it's not going to be the one that I like, I couldn't go another day um, like in that relationship. And I, I, you know, let's take the pain now and let's, let's move on. Um, Same thing with moving, right? I've moved from, like I've lived on in nine different countries now at this point. I've moved at the drop of a hat. I've literally just left stuff in like a city and like, okay, well, I'm just going to move away and just see what happens with that stuff. Um, I will not be bogged down by it because anytime I feel like there is a um, like when you know something is right, um, it's, it's to me, it's very obvious. I'm like, I'm lucky that way where when I know something is right for myself, it's very clear. And at that point, it's just a matter of what are you going to do with it. And in, in the and, I, and you don't always have to act on it when something's good. You can let good things kind of develop slowly over time. But when something's bad, you can't really let it simmer. It actually starts to take over and like grow mold everywhere. So when, I, when I'm certain that something is bad, I act quickly. When I'm certain that something is good, I let it just develop over time and kind of savor the taste of it as it, as it grows and let it, let it grow at, a, at whatever pace it needs to grow at. So that's definitely been something that like, I don't think there's a big divide between business and personal. I think most life lessons cross over and um, that's how I, you know, that's how I have approached it in the past. That's something that I am working to improve um, because I have the, I guess, the tendency to let, to let things, to let the bad things simmer and grow mold. I mean, particularly in relationships. Um, <laughs> romanticizing yeah well it, it's more so it's focusing on the when you know like you said like when you know it's not the one you just like cut it right there my history is to be like okay how do, how could this become the one and what is it, it's like looking at all the potential possibilities that could get to the desired you know result instead of being like I guess just to bring that ruthless word back into play being ruthless about it yeah, at least you're self-aware about it, right? I think that's the, the main thing. One, another like phrase we like is, you know, there are reasons, but there are no excuses. And you know, <laughs> we we all have things that are like, there's a big gap between how we want to be doing it and how we're actually doing it. That's the execution <laughs> gap. Yeah. And and it happens in every facet of your life. It'll be in fitness. It'll be in your relationships. It'll be in your work. It'll be in your creative endeavors. It'll be in your character, your morals, whatever. There's a gap between who, what you think you are and what you actually are. Are you even aware of that? And if you're aware of that, like that's cool. Like that's the first step of moving forward. But 
What most people do is they get aware of it and then they get really aware of their excuses. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, never mind. Uh-huh. You're, you're married to your excuses right now. Like, that's not going to change for you then. <laughs> All right. We need to wrap up. Before we do, uh, Sean, can you let our listeners know uh, where they can find you and uh, maybe a window into what's next for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter. That's the best way to contact me or kind of know what's going on. Uh, my, my handle is S-H-A-A-N. The letter V and the letter P. So Sean VP. Those are my VPs, my initials. Um, so find how me can, on Twitter. How convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, what I always like to do is, is is like text me text me a word about like you know tweet tweet a word at me about like how how this was. If you just listened to this and then you found me on Twitter, uh, say something. Right, give us some feedback because um, that's how that's how you know that's what we all kind of use to get get better or, or at least stay stay informed on what's going on get those feedback um, loops going. and then we have we have a new product that uh that you know maybe i'll let you guys try first and then if you guys like it you can uh you can use it with some of the listeners um after that so yeah we'll, awesome. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that one there yeah it's right on all right cool so then to wrap up we will go one by one and give our respective answer to this question for the day based on what we've discussed over the last hour we'll start with martin and close with you sean uh, Martin, our question today was, how do you stick to your guns? Well, I actually, I love what, what Sean just said there at the end where he was saying, you know, being aware of, of who you are versus who you want to be. I think over the past year, I've spent a lot of time um, trying to just dismiss all of the who I want to be's and just focus on who I am today and what I can actually accomplish. Um, and I'm someone who really geeks out over like personality tests as like a tool to like dig into these things. And I retook it recently and got different results um, as you do. And the new results, I'm just like really digging into them being like, yes, that is actually saying what I've done in the past instead of saying what I wish I would be doing in the future. So I spend a lot less time these days focusing on what I want to do in the future. And I just focus more on how can I take the you know, whatever resources I have literally in front of me today and do something with those, um, with the skills I have, with who I am, with where I'm at, etc. cetera. Uh, instead of just, you know, constantly wishing, just more so practically executing. And that helps me stick to my guns because um, I don't have to convince someone about what I'm trying to become. I just have to convince them about what I'm able to do right this second. My answer for how do you stick to your guns what I think is interesting is this was a, this was an episode around sticking to your guns, but what we largely talked about was the things we have like <laughs> dropped and, and stopped doing. Uh, but it, to me, like that is sticking to your guns in terms of being smart about what you're keeping and what you're cutting. Um, so I think so. My answer, I think, is actually going back to uh, Sean. I believe you said this earlier. You said there's the idea of the pain we know versus the pain we don't. So I think the way you stick to your guns is evaluate the two. Um, well, first off, acknowledge that those two things exist, the pain you know and the pain you don't, and then take the time to evaluate what really, you know, what actually is worse. Because oftentimes I would, I would say the pain we don't know is not as bad as we think it, it is. Mm-hmm. Sean, how do you stick to your guns? Uh, I think I think you got to figure out what what you're sticking to. So back at the start, you got to ask, why are we here? What are we trying to do? You know, what is this supposed to be? And then uh, that why just needs to be written down. It needs to be articulated. It needs to be clear so that when the time comes where a decision needs to be made, you don't, you're not just you're not you're not making the decision at that point. 
you are going back and checking against something, right? You have something to check against, and maybe some things have changed. That's cool too. You can say, oh, this is now we need to update this because we've we've changed or we've learned something or we've you know come to appreciate some other factor of this. Um, so I think in business and in personal life, I would say that for the most part, if you're asking the question, it's probably time for a change. But the way to know, the way to know for certain is to go back and say, why were we here in the first place? Well, what did I get into this for? And then see, are those, you know, are, are those coming true? Um, are they, are they, you know, am I on track to make those things come true or not? Um, but again, if you're asking the question, it is probably time for a change. I love it. Sean Puri, this was fun to, to pun intended, blab with you for the last hour. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Right on, guys. I appreciate you being here. That wrapped up our conversation with Sean Puri. Sean, thank you so much for joining us for just a really in-depth look into what's going on at Blab. But larger than that, a nice conversation around how we make decisions and, as the title says, how do we stick to our guns. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes, as well as subscribing on whatever platform you're on, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or the many other podcasting platforms. Ratings and reviews and subscriptions come together to help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesome. For complete topics, references, and resources, as well as how to contact Sean, find the full show notes at www.idealemon.com. That'll do it for this one. Thank you again to Sean Puri of Blab for joining us for this conversation. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. Welcome to the party, we bout to get it on Leave your worries at the door, we bout to get gone Bacardi Limon in the bone, give me some dome Perry on, smoking the strong, give me Patron in the zone Shorty that I'm dissing up on, the snake charmer She made my black snake moan, I gotta have her See her, then I grab her She turned me to a body snatcher Dude thought he had her At the party where she left with the dime at the party after The party don't start to the after party When your life is a party, you don't have to party so knowing when I'm waking, I'm taking a couple shots My life's a celebration Here's the toast to party people in the nation